0: Really, it does not matter how much you know or you claim to know. If people believe in you and trust you and you're there for them, that's going to go 10 times better than really just giving arbitrary evidence, research, or what you think you may know instead of actually caring about
1: them. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we talk about pain, rehab, performance, and education. If you have questions about the nuance that we dive into please reach out to us we would love to talk to you about it apart from that we hope you guys enjoy today's episode and we hope everyone stays safe and is staying healthy all right guys welcome back to the podcast I my name is max uh, I'm here joined by dr. Nisha Meyer hello and future dr. Tyler Boyd hey guys and uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about some lessons that you learn. um, This is gonna be a little bit more student-oriented, but uh, still valuable for a young clinician, because we're gonna be talking about some lessons you learn in the clinic, in your clinical rotations, or early on practicing uh, after you graduate that you didn't quite learn in PT school and in the academic side of things. And so Nisha's composed essentially a list of 10, things that fit that criteria and she's going to introduce them one by one we're going to riff on them uh, and just go from there
0: so these are my 10 lessons that I've learned outside the classroom in the textbooks and in the clinic I think what's important is that I'm about what six to seven months out from school so I feel like I've grown so much but at the same time it still feels like very palpable palpable like the fear and anxiety of being a student Um, I feel like just yesterday I was still having a CI and now like we have students here and it's it's kind of cool to feel like you can look back on the memories and remember exactly where someone is but at the same time you feel like you learn so much so my first lesson is let your patient lead by listening now well let's just talk about this one like what are your general thoughts about that one lesson
1: yeah so there was a
0: <laughs> oh, re- Here comes the article. There
1: was a, a paper published called Listening is Therapy. I believe the head author was D- Diner, D I E N E R. Um, I believe that was in 2018. But, anyways, if you just Google Listening is Therapy Study or Listening is Therapy Diner, you'll see it. Um, and it basically just talked about the importance of listening, essentially, in physical rehab, in physical therapy. Uh, And we often get in our silos of looking at biomechanics or of even looking at pain neuroscience and looking at communication. And we look at all these things in their silos. But at the end of the day, what's going to give you information about when to utilize which of those concepts, which of those paradigms, those models? Uh, to address some of what the patient is coming in with, you're not gonna figure that out until you listen to what they say. And I've been on clinical rotations. This is maybe something I've learned not because I saw a good example of it, but mm-hmm. because I saw the opposite. Mm-hmm. And I would be in the clinic or you know, be in whatever rotation setting acute care and see an instance in which I saw a healthcare provider ask someone about the pain that they're having and I could tell that the person was trying to explain to them a story about what's happening in their life and about what's going on with this pain that they're having and the provider would interrupt them and immediately start asking them questions okay so tell me a little bit about what's going on with your shoulder Ah, well you know it's just it's been bothering me okay so that's your left shoulder yeah, yeah, it's my left shoulder, and and they're kind of pointing at their shoulder, and then like, yeah, it's just been. And it's like, okay, so it's in the front, and then the person's just like never actually getting the 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 opportunity to express what's going on, mm-hmm. because the healthcare provider thinks that it's more efficient if they just you know go down the list of questions, and unfortunately, we understand that biomechanics and tissue and all that stuff only gets you so far and the story about what the person's experiencing fills in a lot of what you need to know in terms of understanding how am i supposed to intervene here and that story doesn't come out if the person feels like they're being interrupted and the story also doesn't come out if you're not asking follow-up questions to the clues that they're giving you in their subjective that would hint at something more going on there and you don't get to that point unless you listen to them and i'll say another study that came out um, looking at the amount of time that it took for healthcare providers Mm -hmm. in in an interview of a patient before they interrupted the patient. And the average time it took, I believe in this study was 16 seconds with a fair amount of occurrences within three seconds of the patient's initial speech before they interrupted it. So it truly is before they're able to finish their first sentence most healthcare providers are already interrupting that patient and that's telling the patient that you're on their time and not the healthcare provider on the patient's time and that causes a lot of issues in terms of the rapport and in terms of your ability to gather the information that you actually need contrary to your own belief
2: yeah. i think it's like i think it's funny that you brought up like the how you say the list of questions because I think that's what school teaches us, right? You have a half-hour, 45-minute practical or whatever. You know you have 10 to 15 minutes on a history portion of the exam, right? So I need to find out all this information about this person, why why this, like, example case on this example case. So I need to just rattle off as many questions as I can in order to get this – done so i can pass this practical and that's kind of how school does it right um when in reality like you're saying max it's the opposite when someone comes in it's like have a conversation with them and just what nisha said just listen to what this person is here for um and that's kind of one of the things that I've noticed between school and being in actual clinic itself.
1: And, you know, you need a framework early on to help give you a list of questions. You don't even know what could be asked or what should be asked. Um, But it needs to be intentional that you, at some point, can start to abandon that and make it a little bit more of a process of you listening to them?
0: Yeah, for me, this one was stepping away from that checklist and framework and really focusing on letting that patient like take me where they need to take me. Listening, okay, now like their story's gonna guide my subjective, it's gonna guide my objective, it's gonna guide my plan of care and really taking time to understand and not just the words and the dictions that they're using, but actually what does it feel like if I could not do these things or putting myself in their shoes. So I have started focusing more on what they're telling me than what <clears throat> question do I need to ask next? All right, lesson two, less is more. Go ahead and dive into that. I'll just <laughs> leave it, I'll leave it like that.
1: <laughs> um, less is more, so you can go so many different directions with this. I don't know what you had in mind. Um, I think that when we're looking at our effectiveness as healthcare providers, right, we understand that when someone comes in, they're coming in because they have too much on their plate, and now they have pain, and that's made what is already overflowing their schedule and their their life. In terms of an emotional load and a probably actual time load and on top of that now they're unable to successfully and to completion do the things that they need to do and to think that you're gonna come in and give them 15 things to do uh, outside of PT and they're gonna to come to PT and they're gonna do another 15 things here. They're gonna be sore and it's gonna interfere with a lot of other stuff that they do. And to think that that's gonna be a successful strategy, it's just not. Uh, we know that adherence is incredibly low to the traditional home exercise program. And one thing that you can do to combat that poor adherence is to make things as simple as humanly possible. And we know that that works in a lot of instances right, there was a study uh, by Chris Littlewood on rotator cuff tendinopathy, where they looked at a single exercise for folks with rotator cuff tendinopathy. And it wasn't even a specific exercise. All they were doing was a TheraBand lateral raise, and they could be anywhere between complete abduction to complete flexion. You could self-select as the participant any angle that you wanted, if you want to be in scaption or whatever and they showed improvements in rotator cuff related pain with a single exercise that the folks were doing and logging every day, You know how frequently am I doing this? How much volume did I do? And just progressing that one exercise very simply. Uh, and I think that that can be modeled in a lot of other conditions and, and painful issues as well in uh, just keeping things very simple. It also makes it much easier to calculate. Like if it is something that you are worried about load with, Um, Picking 17 different exercises is going to make it very difficult to quantify how much stress that I put into this person's system. I have no idea because we did so many things. Uh, That's particularly a challenge when you're going through maybe some of the higher level athletic stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's still something that I don't think that there's an exceptionally effective way of doing, like agility drills. Right? How much stress is that putting on someone's ACL or through someone's patellar tendon? It's hard, so we've developed strategies like foot contacts, right? So we can do karaoke drills and then broad jumps and then drop jumps and then, you know, single leg hops and whatever and just count foot contacts. Um, and that makes it very simple to calculate that stuff. Uh, but when you say less is more, that tends to be where my head goes in terms of making it more simple for the person in front of you. I think you could go the education route too in terms of uh, mm-hmm. explanations, which I'll, I'll let you guys go into. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, when I think less is more I think of it almost like kind of what you said, Max, with like you brought up someone doing 17 exercises where if we want to touch on that first uh, point where we were talking about questions and stuff like that, um, we could just say obviously less questions and letting that person talk and having a conversation with that person. But also we've all been in clinics where like that person comes in, they walk in and they have this big flow sheet of like, say it's like an ankle sprain, right? And they have 15 different ankle exercises to complete, right? In an hour. But, like, maybe it's just like less is more in the, the aspect of okay, let's spend more time with this person, talking to them, having a conversation, getting to know this person, and maybe focusing on one, two, three, whatever, taking a, instead of giving them 15 different exercises, and let's focus on maybe the basics and hone in on that and make sure this person's really understanding what um, is going on and what they are here for. Um, instead of just having them come in and do 15 exercises and just run through it and then that's it and you're done with your PT session. So that's kind of what the first thing that comes to my mind when I think less is more.
0: Yeah, a good mentor of mine when I was in PT school said, you have to do the basics well and I completely believed that. Um, Especially being in the performance and sport based setting, it's really easy to get caught up with the new trends, gadgets, really crazy exercises that look cool. But at the end of the day, if we can do the basics really well and maybe empower our patient to have a little bit more independence in what we're doing, I've found that like pulling back and giving less, but really good quality in all those different ways, pain science, uh, education, exercise, it's just been like double the gains that I make with that person. Lesson three, mistakes will happen. How you respond to them is more important. Ooh, No research on this, Max. Talk from the heart. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a heart. heart. (laughs) Um,
1: uh, Read it again. How did you word it?
0: Mistakes will happen. How you respond to them is more important.
1: Yeah. Uh, So as a, I'm trying to think of this not in the context of like a patient. You know, my first thought is thinking of patients of flare ups and Mm -hmm. and things are going to be up and down. But. Um, from a student standpoint, there should be zero point in time in your career where you are not making mistakes. If you have stopped making mistakes, you've probably stopped growing as a clinician. And you need to either find something that you're still interested in learning in, transition into that, or find ways to challenge yourself in the 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 current role that you're in or just get the hell out of there and surround yourself with people who are going to push you a little bit more. Um, you know, this is something that I think I, I can appreciate from a, a residency standpoint, just in going through that. And, you know, Tyler, we were talking about this a little bit this morning, but through the residency process, you know, I'm going through and presenting on my, you know, evaluation of some scientific research, some article. I'm presenting cases that were patients that I saw, uh, and I'm doing these things to groups of studs, stud clinicians, stud researchers, academics, and they're basically there to criticize my every thought and my every belief. And that is what I Paid for and am looking for intently I I would not have gone there had I thought I'm gonna get through this residency without fumbling my way through and making a million mistakes Um, because those just are the things that are going to contribute to you being a better clinician I think if you're not making mistakes it's because you're just in the wrong room
2: yeah I mean I think you hit it right on the head max mistakes are going to happen right and i think as especially students coming into a um clinical rotation right you walk in there and you're just like oh man i don't want to mess up especially Mm -hmm. on the first day right like (laughs) (laughs) you're like oh man like i really i don't want to mess up like what's my ci gonna think of me like oh man but um yeah like you're saying if you're not making mistakes you're probably not growing as a clinician um so
0: yeah, at least for me and all the A-types out there, I'm definitely an overthinker. so um, it's been really important for me to take situations. I mean, we're humans working with humans. Like it's going to happen, right? Um, we can for disaster. Exactly. We can always do better. And for me, I feel any experience that I wish went better or I wish I might have done something different to be better the next time, and that's been really helpful in spinning that um, experience for me. Lesson four: People care that you care. Thoughts.
1: Yeah, no one's gonna listen to you until they know that you care about them. Mm-hmm. That I think goes with the the listening piece, where. Yeah, I just even for myself, you know, going to a surgeon for my knees like a few years ago, I could very clearly tell that they had no care in the world for who I was. What I was interested in doing, uh, what effect that what they were going to do was going to have on who I am and what I'm interested in, and for that reason, it just made it so much harder for me to not be skeptical of them and not, you know, take what they said with a grain of salt and I don't know, just not feel wholly comfortable yeah. with their advice, even if I knew this guy is is the head of this massive institution with a ton of academic background, a ton of credentials and letters behind his name. But I just don't think he cares that I compete in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I don't really care what you have to say to me. You mm-hmm. know? That, I think that's just true with a lot of patience. Yeah
2: what's the expression? It's like people don't care about how much you know yep. until, until you,
1: they know how much you care. Until
2: they know yeah. how much you care.
1: That expression went in my that's head and I was like, I don't, I'm not going to be able to piece that together.
2: I'm not <laughs> yeah, go that's there. why. Thank God. Thanks Max for putting it together for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I truly think that's like, that's true. Especially when with the people that um, we're dealing with. Um, so, Yeah, that's basically all I got on that one.
0: Yeah, that's my biggest thing, especially if you're a new grad or a student. Really, it does not matter how much you know or you claim to know. If people believe in you and trust you and you're there for them, that's going to go ten times better than really just giving arbitrary evidence, research or what you think you may know instead of actually caring about them. The other thing I added in there was just because I'm a talker, silence actually can be a huge support and show that you care. Like nonverbal support is huge. Um, I get a lot of criers and I've learned to, instead of filling the space with my voice and support, sometimes you just have to show it. So that's a big thing for me. Lesson five, confidence with uncertainty.
1: Oh, man. We did a whole podcast on this. Oh, no. Um, Well, we did the student struggles one. The first one was... Maybe it was the first one. It was on on dealing with uncertainty. All right. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's worth reiterating. Like, We are not in a field that medicine does not have all of the answers as a whole to why people are in pain. We are all trying to, in various ways, whether it be fixing joints and fixing tendons or modifying the stresses on joints and modifying the stresses on tendons to address pain as best we can. But the reality is pain is still a problem that costs us hundreds of billions of dollars a year. And so the answer is not out there. I can promise you that. Mm-hmm. Or else the problem wouldn't be out there anymore either. And it is inevitably just growing at <laughs> at an ever so rapid pace. And So by nature of the beast, you're entering a field that you're not going to necessarily have all of the answers. You're going to be dealing with a ton of gray area. That can be gray area from a, hmm, we don't actually know a lot about this diagnosis. That can be gray area from, hmm, I don't know if the thing that this person actually needs to get better is something that they're ready to hear right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that can be, huh, I don't know if I'm the right person to give this person Mm -hmm. what i think that they need Mm -hmm. and so there's going to be uncertainty in every way shape or form in your career when you're trying to help people get rid of something that is an ongoing challenge for science and for medicine to try to remedy and coping with that i think comes back to the mistakes piece, where it's just recognizing that in your attempt to minimize uncertainty, you're going to make a ton of mistakes. And if you're looking for a cure to uncertainty, you're either going to not find it or end up lying to yourself with a model or a system that isn't actually true. And so you're better off just riding in between the two and living in a world where you try to minimize uncertainty and be less wrong every day, but recognize that you'll always still be wrong.
2: Yeah, Uh, yeah, I think those key words right there, minimizing uncertainty, Mm -hmm. just because like what you said, Nisha, the fact is we are humans dealing with humans, right? And it's a lot of PT as a whole is a lot of just trial and error. Right, and there's going back to even the failure thing is you're gonna fail a lot is with this person who is in your clinic before maybe you succeed, right? Um, so yeah, it's there, it's a lot of just uncertainty as a whole. PT is just gray, very gray.
0: I think I've become or felt more confident when I stopped trying to fit this checkbox of let me diagnose you, or that will make me look smarter or more professional, but instead. Taking all the things like our red flags that for sure we can definitely rule out like you are safe here. Nothing crazy is going mm-hmm. on, but these are the things I do know. These but are even
1: th- red flags, you know, I had a patient s- several weeks ago who I did not know if what I was seeing in my red flag screening and my questions warranted a referral to another specialist. And there was uncertainty even in yeah. that context of like, ah, oh, do I... Right. Do i refer this person out or do i do i treat them for a couple like even the things that we think we're certain about sometimes they're put in a context where man i don't actually know what i should do in this scenario like i know the, i know that i know to refer someone out if there's big obvious things right but sometimes it just doesn't happen like that cleanly
0: right and at least like you have that moment to decide is this like enough on this one area of the scale to to push forward even if you're wrong at least you were like safe on that end
1: and then you go back to making mistakes and and then we go back and then we go back to lesson four so let's go to lesson six man these are exhausting these are like rants that are topics that could each be a podcast i know right (laughs) tired
0: value of time now i'll kind of i'll go first on this one to explain because it's very deep right so school doesn't teach you how to manage treatment with documentation, with continuing education and residency and your relationship and all these things that you have to do in a 24 hour day. And so for me, it was just seeing like, okay, these 45 minutes to an hour that I have with this patient, is that patient committing to being better and spending time with me? What can I do in this time for them that will help that could be something just from education it can just be listening it could be exercise it could be any of those things but on the flip side now being a new clinician our time's really valuable too and I've taken a lot of time to say okay when I'm in the clinic I'm in the clinic but when I'm outside I have to build my capacity in other ways because being a PT is stressful like you're handling people's Um, emotions and their pain and so you have to be your best self I feel um, and spend time to fill it so that you have the highest capacity to handle people that you may need to take care of
2: I mean I guess this leads to the question of I guess I can't really talk to this yet but have you guys ever felt like you've had any sort of like PT burnout Hmm. Max Uh,
1: definitely not I think burnout is obviously something that exists right I think that when we look at in my circumstance residency part of the reason that becoming as skilled as a clinician as you can is beneficial is that it helps you combat against burnout even in the same given window of time right so it's like hey, I'm a PT who has been working for 10, 15 years. I have barely done any continuing education. I've just been getting CEUs. I haven't looked into anything outside of here. And now I'm in a position where the way I practice is 30 minutes of manual for every patient that comes in the door, heat, ice. We do a few exercises. Patients are here for an hour and a half so I can bill as many units as possible that I only get reimbursed for some of them for. And my day is wildly inefficient. Being good at your job actually makes the day go by much smoother, right? (laughs) Because if someone comes in and I'm like, you don't need to be treated for 60 minutes. Therefore, I'm not going to treat you for 60 minutes. I'm gonna treat you for 40. Mm -hmm. And that person is in and out very quickly. They came here and did what they needed to do. I don't feel like I'm wasting my time. Uh, They don't feel like they're wasting their time. And my schedule gets lighter, right? Because I'm not spending 30% of my day wasted doing things that are not evidence-based and that are just kind of like a rat running in a wheel. Mm -hmm. And so to some degree, I think that it's important almost to add some education stuff to the plate because that makes the other stuff more interesting from a, hey, I'm learning more about my job. It's keeping me involved. And it also makes you actually better on that day in that Scenario, uh, which makes the day go by more efficiently when you're good at what you do, um, and so I haven't experienced burnout at this point in time. Uh, yeah, I've only been practicing for you know since whatever we graduated in May, started working, so I've been six, seven months, um, mm-hmm. and I've been in residency in equal amount of time. And uh, you know, I look at my, I look at my next month of to dos and things that I have to do, places I have to be, meetings I'm in, things I need to present. And every month I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, how (laughs) am I gonna do all that? Like I truly don't understand, how is this going to be possible? But at the end of the day, I just narrow in on this week and tomorrow, how can I make this go by more efficiently? And sometimes it's coming to work an hour early so that I can set my day up to make it go by really smoothly and I feel better that way versus coming in five minutes before my first patient and trying to get everything together last minute. To me, it's like i rather wake up 30 minutes earlier and have my coffee, get dressed, take a shower, take my time, You know, listen to a podcast, then get up and have to rush because I'm late Like to me, the first morning, even though I got up earlier, feels way better because I'm not in a rush. And I feel the same way kind of career wise. It's like doing it right and doing it well makes the whole thing feel better, even if it's technically more time consuming. Um, And so, yeah, I think I just focus on the micro when I see how scary the month looks. I just I'm like, all right, how do I make today more efficient? Um, But like you said, there's times that you need to take a step back as well and you know say I'm not doing anything this weekend that has anything to do with PT or I'm going to take my Thursday Friday off and I'm going to do absolutely nothing for 5 days you know 4 days like it you just have to take time for yourself and when you're a clinician or a student it feels like the only thing that you have in life and your only purpose is to be clinician and student and having other things that you're interested in is valuable in making you feel you know refreshed and not getting to the point of, of burnout. But I think it's that's such a hard thing to address because everyone is different, yeah, you know? Definitely. And part of it is the expectation. Like I expected going into residency, this is gonna be a grind, yeah, right? And because that's my expectation going in, I'm just experiencing now what I was preparing myself to experience. Definitely. If I went in with the mindset of like, yeah, this won't be too bad, then it's gonna feel worse when yeah. it doesn't meet my expectation. And I think we can get in that mindset as students where it's like, oh, when I graduate, life's gonna be perfect, right? I'm gonna work a job, I'm gonna have no stress. I'm gonna be in the career that I love. I'm gonna go in and just make everyone better. Everyone's gonna be so thankful. Mm -hmm. And then you realize I'm a human working with humans and I'm doing it in a society and in a system that not everything's perfect. And it's important to have the expectation that like, yeah, sometimes this will be stressful. Sometimes I'm not going to feel like doing this. I'm not going to beat myself up about the week where I feel exhausted and I'm just kind of getting through the day. It's okay to have those two. So I think so much of it is, is the expectation, the mindset that you go in with that dictates how it feels.
0: Yeah, I feel like coming out of school, I have a new view on PT burnout because I think it's a giant umbrella term and it depends on what you're feeling fatigued from. Especially with COVID, I feel like some PTs right now are going through burnout of finding the right place or maybe not even getting a full-time job. So it's like interview, 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 and just fatigued and feeling vulnerable and putting yourself out there and there's no um, consistency in where you're going to be. And so that could be like burnout from the system. Or for those, I mean, we're lucky. We're in this setting where I feel like we're in a silo of people that echo the same type of mantras and forward performance-based PT, but other places you feel like one out of the hundred that are pushing for evidence-based, person-centered care. um, And you can very well feel like you're going against the grain and tired of it and getting um, fatigued or burned out on that end. And then the other side, if you're just trying to move up in the industry, say from just PT to maybe more of a manager role, but there's no growth for you unless you keep taking 20 plus patients a day like you can very well get burned out from that for me i feel like i just personally get burned out from my emotional energy with people and that's not like a testament to pt that's just who i am and so like i was talking about i i have to take a step back from the clinic and in my like day-to-day life and free time build that capacity so i so i won't burn out in the future but no in the six seven months i feel like we've been really cognizant about our how much we could actually burn out if we went yeah. full throttle
1: and to be fair we're working more than full-time jobs yeah uh, so we're doing okay <laughs>
0: lesson seven well some of these will overlap uh communication cures so more about like reassurance for patients
1: yeah i mean i think that that goes along with the listening piece just as yeah. as how listening is therapy um, some of what you say is going to be either therapy or quite harmful um and so you know being attentive to some of the the narratives that you're using the language that you're using making sure you are promoting the patient in developing you know self-efficacy and good behavioral habits and attitudes towards pain and what's going on with them is obviously going to be important i think we kind of already beat that one to a dead horse a little bit Um, and we're short on time so we'll rapid fire the last ones
0: perfect is not a goal i feel like that's obvious. (laughs) obvious.
1: <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. I mean, I, I do know a lot of students want to practice and mimic the way that their clinical instructor is because that they think that that is the correct way to do things. Um, that's their image of perfect, but that doesn't necessarily agree with, you know, how they are as a, as a human being. And so um, if you're striving for something that is an ideal or a perfection for you, That doesn't fit with who you are i think that that's that's going to be a conflict um and is worth you you know revising or at least accepting that it's not going to be like everyone else i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that one no
2: i think it kind of just goes back to what we were talking about with the failure thing right you just got we're gonna you're gonna deal with a lot of failures as you go through your career yep
0: looking to learn what does that mean Well, for me, I guess, because I'm the only one at the one new clinic right now, like I have had to create opportunities for myself and some people may be in settings where they don't feel like they have mentors. And so that's a huge thing for me, like looking to others. To help and to mm. learn, and it so can be such in
1: as like the Rise Rehab Integrated In Sports <laughs> Education Foundations <laughs> course <shout> out
0: there. <laughs> but, yep. Um, but also, just like you can find mentors in so many different ways, and you can even learn from your patients. Just everything's an opportunity. Mm. All right, the last one I definitely want to get into: be humble and hungry in healthcare. Boom. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, go ahead.
0: No, no thoughts, Tyler.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I just wanna hear what you have to say first. Yeah, well,
0: go. for me, I'm just so passionate about our field, and I feel like what we do only gets like a small scale of recognition, but it's pretty life-changing for a lot of people when they have success. And so I'm really hungry to what, be honest in healthcare about what we know and what we don't know and things that we could be better in, and to just fight for one, our patients, and two, fight for the people in our industry. Because what I think is we have something amazing here. Um, and I wish a lot of other places would start to replicate the same thing.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, it's we have a problem with health as a country, as a world, as a society. We're dealing with a ton of chronic and communicable diseases and things along the lines of obesity and diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer. um, All of these things, and and then not even to mention pain, uh, all of these things are incredibly influenced by Lifestyle factors, behavioral factors, uh, two of which are massive would be diet and exercise, right? And there, quite frankly, is not a single profession that is better positioned in their education and in their role within healthcare to address individuals' behavioral habits lifestyle factors, and exercise habits. Uh, There just isn't. You can search for others, you can think, well, would an orthopedic surgeon be better positioned to manage pain and manage these things? In certain instances, yes. But what happens when the orthopedic surgeon says you're not appropriate for surgery? And what happens when the surgery doesn't work? Which are both two incredibly common occurrences. Who manages those patients? Who helps those people with their pain, right? That's, it, if the person finds a physical therapist, hopefully it's a physical therapist who is along the same lines of values. It could be a crappy physical therapist. It could be a Cairo, It could be a massage therapist or an athletic trainer. It could be a lot of other individuals, all of whom could be qualified as individual practitioners to help that person, very much so. But in terms of our the breadth of education, the values of the profession and the direction that we go with those values, there literally just isn't a healthcare field or a profession that's better suited to address pain and address chronic and communicable diseases like physical therapy can. And the problem right now is that students, young clinicians, They're doing great in trying to challenge these ideas and figure out ways to, you know, get us in that role because we might be well positioned for it, but that doesn't mean we're doing it well. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot to learn from other professions like chiropractic who have positioned themselves somehow to be, you know, back pain specialists, even though they don't offer a ton more than I would argue they don't offer anything that a physical therapist can't offer uh provided that they're sufficiently trained in orthopedics um and the stuff that they do off, offer in addition to what their education is on is probably a little sketchy um and so i i just go back to this idea that you know we can learn from these other professions in how to better market ourselves and position us to better serve the community and our patients but the bottom line is we are the ones who should be in that position it's just a matter of getting us there and the impact that we can have like you said is absolutely massive given that these problems are pervasive and growing um i don't know if you have any other thoughts no
0: heck yeah, yeah. let's go <laughs> team
1: <laughs> all right uh hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode if you want to get in touch with me you can find me at max on instagram Or email me, max at precisionperformancept.com,
2: Nisha.
0: Nishameyer.dpt on Insta, and Nishameyer at precisionperformancept.com.
2: Tylerboyd.spt on Instagram.
1: Cool. Hope you guys enjoyed. Talk to you in the next one. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Training Room Talk podcast. We hope today's discussion was helpful in illuminating some of the complexities behind pain and rehab. If you don't know where to go from here, please reach out to us with questions. We have mentorship options for clinicians and students and programming options for you to elevate your own fitness. We look forward to speaking with you and again, hope you enjoyed today's discussion.